Well, we're going to introduce a new book to you tonight, Zephaniah, probably one of your favorite books in the Bible. Now, if you don't know how to find it, I'll help you. Go to the end of the Old Testament and back up four books. There you'll find it. So if you go to Malachi and back up four books, you'll be to the book of Zephaniah. You can open your Bibles there, although we're not going to a text proper tonight. We'll be referring to some passages, and then we'll begin, Lord willing, the exposition of the text proper next Sunday night. Let's pray. Father, we want to commit this new study to you. We thank you for the books of the Bible that you've inspired. We thank you for this book of Zephaniah. It certainly is a book that, quite frankly, is neglected. And I pray that as we go through it, you would be revealing to us truth and also make it applicable. We pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit to develop us in the way this book was designed to develop us. And for that, we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus Christ predicts what the vast majority will be like before he comes, and he pours out the horrific wrath of God just prior to his second coming. He said the people are going to be drinking and partying, and they will be marrying and living life totally oblivious to the fact that they're heading to the ferocious judgment of God. They're about to be cut to pieces and thrown into hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The world will be given to that which is immoral and even demonic. And there will be no fear of God. There will be no thought of pending judgment. There will be a small remnant of people who will love God and love the word of God, but most in the world will not give any thought to the fact, you know, I'm heading to face the judgment of God. That clock is ticking. As Jesus said, it'll be just like it was in the days of Lot and just like it was in the days of Noah. You only had Lot's family really interested in what was happening pertaining to judgment, and only Noah's family took it seriously as well. No one thought much about the judgment of God when those events occurred. That's exactly the kind of world you and I are living in right now. It's an immoral, evil, demonic world, and most people have no thought. The clock is ticking, and I'm heading to the judgment of God, and I better focus my attention on being right with him. In fact, here were some of the major news headlines this week, which the people think are real important. We need to save the climate so cities don't become ghost towns. That was a headline this week. We need to save the climate so that cities don't become ghost towns. We don't care what you believe religiously. We don't care if you have a relationship with God. We don't care about your eternal soul, where it's headed. What we care about is the climate. Not only do we need to save the climate, but we don't care if there's ever a gospel presentation of saving souls so you don't end up in eternal fire. Here was another headline. An actor that we love died in a hot tub. Not a message that all people have been given the death penalty. All people are heading to death. And the fact of the matter is, apart from Jesus Christ, they're heading to eternal death. 
Here was another headline this week. The FDA warns 26 eye drops could lead to eye infection. We don't care how you use your eyes. We don't care if you use your eyes to carefully study God's word or not. What we're more concerned about is what those eye drops do to your eyes. And another headline read, snowstorms and cold could affect Halloween. Not that a cold heart against the scriptures will bring the judgment of God. See, here's what I'm saying. People in this world don't care about God. They don't care about his word. They don't care about the fact that we're heading to the judgment of God. That is the same kind of world in which Zephaniah lived. And what God wanted Zephaniah to do is to take a message to his people and the specific message that he wanted Zephaniah to take to Israel and also take to the world is this. My eternal judgment is going to come. And if you do not reverence me and if you do not humble yourself before me, I'm going to totally destroy you and there will be nothing you can do to change that or stop that. Now, let's be very clear on this book of Zephaniah. The only people in the book of Zephaniah who are given any hope, any hope in this book of Zephaniah are a small remnant of people. And you'll see it. A small remnant of people that are serious about God and his word. Furthermore, Zephaniah says not only will God's judgment come upon his rebellious nation and religious people, it's going to come against the whole world. God says, Zephaniah, I want you to warn the whole world my judgment is coming. The day of the Lord is on the way, and wise people will wake up to that reality and realize that clock is ticking, and they'll do something about it in their own lives. And in the next weeks, we would like to take you on a journey through this very important little book called Zephaniah. It's a book very few study. And quite honestly, I think the reason why very few study this book is they don't like it. They don't want the message in it. It's easier to present a positive, upbeat message than to go through a book like Zephaniah. But Zephaniah is a book in the Bible, so we're going to study it. Now, to introduce the book to you tonight, I'd like to do so by asking and answering a series of introductory questions, four of them. The first one is, why study Zephaniah? I'll give you four reasons. The first reason, if you've been around the church for a while, you understand, because Zephaniah is one of only 66 inspired books that God has given to man. It's one of only 12 minor prophet books in the world. That's all the impetus we need for studying the book. Zephaniah is a prophet who received direct revelation from God. He's one of only 12 minor prophet guys in the world that God ever gave prophetic messages to. And we may break these 12 down into three categories. You have those prophets of Israel in the north. You have Jonah, Amos, and Hosea. You had prophets of Judah in the south which included Obadiah, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Then you had the prophets after the captivity, after the Babylonian captivity, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Zephaniah is one of only 12 guys in the world, only 12 prophets in the world that God gave direct revelatory data to, and we're going to study it. That's the reason we need to study the book. Nahum and Habakkuk and Zephaniah were all living around the same time period. Every single one of them had a warning of a pending judgment. 
And ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced that there are some serious-minded people in solid churches today that sense in this country we're on the verge of something. This isn't just delusional hype. This is not eschatological fantasy. There are serious-minded people who are beginning to sense we're on the verge of something in which God is going to do. He's going to judge because this nation and this world is heading in a wrong way. Now, you'll notice how verse 1 begins. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah. Just that statement right there. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah. That's a statement of prophetic inspiration. Then when you go to verse 2, you read, I will completely remove all things. Verse 3, I will remove man and beast. So now, not only does he say the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, but God starts using the personal pronoun I. He uses it 27 times in 53 verses. Those are direct revelatory statements. He said this is word coming from God himself. I mean, Zephaniah makes the claim, this is the word of God, and it's God's word to Zephaniah, and he tells a lot of things in the book of what he wants us to know. So this is God telling the world what he's going to do. That's an inspiration statement. It's a strong inspiration statement. Now, the proof that's inspired by God is overwhelming. In 1952, in the Dead Sea Scroll Discovery, in Qumran Cave Number 4, Zephaniah was among the minor prophet books that were found in Cave 4. Then in the same year, in Cave South of Bethlehem, another manuscript was found of the minor prophets that contained the book of Zephaniah. What we learn from that, Dead Sea Scroll find, is that the Jews believed that this book was very important to the program of God and they carefully copied it and they carefully protected it and they carefully preserved it because they viewed it as an inspired book. Then about 250 BC when a group of scholars decided we're going to translate the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek, it's called the Septuagint, they decided at that point Zephaniah needs to be in that translation. In 1881, two fragment manuscripts of Zephaniah were found in a monastery in Egypt. They were published in 1885. Then you have Philo, the Alexandria philosopher, who lived 15 B.C. to A.D. 45, the one who translated Jewish teaching into Greek, and Josephus, who lived from A.D. 37 to 100, the Jewish historian. Both of them, Philo and Josephus, said Zephaniah is one of those Old Testament-inspired books. Then you get the Talmud, which is a compilation of Jewish teachings from the 3rd century to the 5th century. They cite Zephaniah. The early church fathers, Clement of Alexandria, Cyprian, Augustine, they cite Zephaniah. Then you have the Masoretic Hebrew text, which is a vowel-pointed Hebrew text that was produced in the 10th century A.D. That contains the book of Zephaniah. As R.K. Harrison said, the Hebrew text of Zephaniah has been well-preserved. Clearly, Zephaniah is one of God's rare inspired books that God has protected and preserved. It's a valuable book, and we're going to take the time to study it. It's profitable for us to go through. So there's our first reason. It's inspired by God. The second reason we're going to study it is because Zephaniah is a book that tells us why God is going to bring specific catastrophic judgment against the world. You know, the only book that quotes Zephaniah in the New Testament is the book of Revelation. You're going to find that interesting. It's the only book that quotes the book of Zephaniah. And 
there's no coincidence that it is quoted in the book of Revelation because a lot of data here is data that lays out what God is going to do in the great tribulation. And there's much in here that is going to reveal that. But what we learn here is that this is a wicked, dark world. And God promises, I'm going to bring judgments against this wicked and dark world. And in this book of Zephaniah, he says, I'll tell you why. Now, here's something that's absolutely amazing. That'll just be mind-boggling. But if you have your Bible open to Zephaniah, go over to chapter 3 and verse 17. Go over to chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. Now watch this. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I'm looking at that and I'm going, now wait a minute here. What God's saying there is, my judgment that I'm going to pour out on this world is actually connected to my love. I'm telling you, this book presents a different concept of love than the sloppy love that's presented by this world. I'll tell you what love's presented by this world in many churches in the world. God is just a lovey-dovey God. He doesn't even have an angry side. But you look at a book like Zephaniah and you say, you know what? Obviously, this is part of something God does in his love. And it's, as one commentator said, the dark side of love. This book could not be any clearer on what God intends to do to the evil that is in this world. As doctors Kyle and Daly said, Zephaniah proclaims the judgment upon the whole earth, upon the heathen nations, upon Judah and Jerusalem. And whatever judgment comes into the world, it is nothing compared to what God's going to do that he describes in this book. When he decides to judge, he's going to hit everyone in the world, and the only chance that anyone has to survive is to be a small part of a remnant people. Small part of a remnant people who fear the Lord, they love the word of God, they're dedicated to being in a right relationship with him that is based on the word of God. And what's interesting is when he starts off this cataclysmic judgment, if you're open to Zephaniah 1 verse 3, he starts off by saying, I'll remove man and beast. Wow! You talk about potent. It's interesting because in creation, man was the last Thing that God created in the Genesis account. Man was the last of his creation that he made. And when you get to this one, he said, it's the first one I'm taking off the planet. I'll remove all men. Other than Amos, Zephaniah is the only minor prophet to specifically include prophecies against foreign nations, and he names places that are in the news right now. Zephaniah names Gaza and Ashkelon and Ashdod and Ekron and the Carathites and Canaan and the Philistines and the Ethiopians and the coastal people. I mean, just this week there were people that were fleeing those areas because they're getting out of there because of what is happening now. And in this book of Zephaniah, he lays out specifically why God is going to pour out his wrath on the world. This is probably, this book is the best commentary on Revelation chapter 6 to 19. If you want to know why God's going to do what he's going to do in Revelation chapter 6 to 19, all you have to do is look at this book of Zephaniah. Fifteen facts or reasons why God says, I'm going to wipe out man. I'm going to wipe out man. Number one, God says, I'll destroy the world because of the false religious priests who have not led people into truth. See, this is so contrary to what people think. People don't realize 
Religion that is not given to the truth of God is demonic stuff. It doesn't make God happy. I realize we live in a country where people say, believe whatever you want, all religions are good, all religions are leading in the same way. No, they're not. No, they're not. If it's not based on carefully and accurately understanding God's written word, it's a false religion. And that is one of the reasons why God says, I'm going to judge the world, because I'm sick of watching false religions dominate the world. The second fact that's brought out is I'll destroy the world because people have practiced religious idolatry. He'll talk about in verse 5, they go up on the housetops and they worship the sun, the moon, the stars. I mean, there are people that will worship anything except the God of the Bible. God said, I'm just getting sick of it. I'll reach a point where I'm going to say, that's it. I've had enough with humanity. I've put up with this long enough. I'm going to destroy them. A third fact that's brought out in this book is God's going to destroy the world because people have turned their backs on God. That's what he says in verse 6. You've turned back from following the Lord. You've just turned your back on the word of God. Now think about it. How many people do you know are dead serious about understanding 66 books that God has put in the Word so they can obey them and follow them? How many do you know? I mean, it's like everybody's turning their back on God and His Word. Very few places even teach the Word of God anymore. The fourth fact is God will destroy the world because people will not seek him or pray to him. That's what he says. Those who have not sought the Lord or inquired of him. He said, people are not going to seek me. They're just going to run off half-cocked and make decisions in life. They're not going to consult me, get before me, ask me what my word is, ask me what my will is. He said, I'm sick of people not communicating. They don't even think of me. God said, I'm the one that created the world and put them on the world. The fifth fact is God would destroy the world because people follow godless leaders at all levels. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1, that it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. I will punish the princes and the king's son. Now, I find that fascinating because Zephaniah was related to Hezekiah. We'll talk about that in a minute. So he's in the royal line. This would be like some guy who's a relative of a great political leader going in there and saying, you're a godless leader, and you're leading people astray, talking to your relatives, you're leading people astray, and you need to know this, God's going to hammer you. That's what Zephaniah does. A sixth fact is God will destroy the world because people practice violence. Doesn't that describe our world? I mean, don't you sense we're living in a world where it's dangerous? I mean, it isn't like it was 20, 30 years ago. It's a dangerous world. There are people that are literally out there just practicing violence. Then he said, I'm going to destroy the world because people practice deceit. Just think what's going on right now. People will try to call you up on the phone and deceive you so they can get account numbers so they can steal. There's an atmosphere of deceit that's taking place in the world and scammers that are actually out to deceive people and take everything they have from them. I mean, this is the world you and I are living in. So when God describes this in the book of Zephaniah, we can say, yeah, we're there. We can sure see that. The eighth fact is God will destroy the world because people have stagnant hearts. They're not real serious about God and his word. They're apathetic. The ninth fact is God will destroy the world because people sin against God. They choose to sin against God. The tenth fact is God will destroy the world because people have arrogance and pride. 
I'm telling you, there's a spirit of arrogance and pride in people. We should be humble before the Lord. You go straight through the word of God, it does humble you. It's anything but arrogance and pride. And then, 11th, God will destroy the world because people live in rebellion. In chapter 3, he brings that point out. They're just living in rebellion. Woe to her who is rebellious. God will destroy the world, number 12, because people won't heed the warnings. They won't heed the warnings of the word of God. I mean, when you go and you tell certain people, those sins there are an abomination to God from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and those sins that you're involved in are going to bring about the judgment of God, they're going to listen to you. They don't care. And God said, that's why I'm going to destroy this place. The 13th fact is God will destroy the world because the people will not accept instruction. That's what he said. She accepted no instruction. They're not serious about the word of God. They're not serious about anything that God says in the word. The 14th fact is God will destroy the world because it has evil and ruthless leaders in it. These are evil and ruthless leaders who he describes as roaring lions who cut up people. They're not interested in helping people. They're just interested in getting what they can from the people. The 15th fact is God will destroy the world because people have corrupt religious leaders. In verse 4, he says, Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. The priests have profaned the sanctuary. So what you have is you have a bunch of religious leaders that aren't interested in being right with the Lord. They profane the things of God. In other words, this book of Zephaniah lays out the judicial case that God has that he presents to us so we can understand this is why he's going to destroy it. This is it. This is why there will be a tribulation, a great tribulation. You go through Zephaniah and you'll see why there's going to be Revelation chapter 6 to 19. So we're going to go through it because it gives us explanation why God's going to judge what he's going to judge. Now a third reason we're going to study it is because Zephaniah is a book that tells God's people what God wants them to do as they wait for the judgment. I want you to look, if you would, at Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Zephaniah is clear to state what God's people need to be doing as they wait for God to pour out this judgment. And he will pour it out. And what God's people want to be doing is they want to be pursuing a right relationship with God. They need five actions if they're going to be pursuing a right relationship with God. Number one, they need to be seeking God. You seek him by searching the scriptures and you seek him by prayer. That's how you seek the Lord. You seek the Lord by carefully studying the scriptures and talking to God, praying to God. He said you'd be seeking the Lord. Secondly, God wants his people humble before him. That's what he says there in verse 3. He stresses humility twice. All you humble of the earth. And then he says, seek righteousness, seek humility. God says, I want my people who are in a right relationship with me to be humble, not proud and arrogant. Humble to me and my word. Thirdly, there are people that are out to understand and obey the word of God. He says, who've carried out his ordinances. They want to understand what those ordinances are. They want to live it out in their lives, carefully understand and apply the word of God. Fourthly, God wants his people seeking righteousness. Seek righteousness. That's what he says in verse 3. As you see your world falling apart, 
You seek your relationship with me. You walk humbly before me. You go to work on carefully and accurately understanding and applying the scriptures. Seek righteousness. Then again, he says, seek humility. Don't seek a bunch of honor. Seek humility. And one of the main reasons why most people aren't going to do that is pride. Most people are going to say, phooey on that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to humble myself to respond to the word of God, to do what it says. And God says, fine, fine. Then you stay in your pride. You stay in your arrogance because that's the reason I'm judging. So we're going to study it. We need to carefully understand what our responsibilities are as we wait for this God to do what he's going to do in the future. Then the fourth reason we're going to study it is because Zephaniah is a book that promises God's faithful people some wonderful blessings no matter what he's doing in the world. Now, we brought this out even in the book of Nahum, but we need to realize that no matter what is happening in the world, when it's falling totally apart, we can still see God do some great things for us if we're focused on having a right relationship with him. In chapters 2 and 3 of Zephaniah, Zephaniah lays out some amazing blessings that God promises his people who are serious about a relationship with him. And I realize this has tribulation ramifications for people who are in the tribulation period who are interested in a relationship with God, but this also has application for us who are living in a world that's falling apart. We need to understand this too because we are serving a living God, not a dead God. When you listen to a lot of people, it's like, oh boy, we're falling apart. We have no hope. It's just over. It's just over. There's no point going on with life. It's like we're serving a dead God. We're not serving a dead God. God has made some amazing promises to his faithful people, that remnant that loves him and loves his word. Blessing number one, I'll deliver my people. I don't care what's going on. I'll deliver my people. I'm sovereign over what's going on, but I'll deliver my people. Number two, I'll rescue them. I'll personally have a rescue mission with my people that are faithful to me. Number three, I'll restore them. I'll restore my faithful people so that they have a wonderful relationship with me. Number four, I'll prosper them. People that are seeking me and humble before me and they're seeking to understand and apply my word, I'm going to prosper them and bless them. Number five, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them of the failures and the sins because they'll be dealing honestly with me, humbly before me. They'll be living out their lives in the way that pleases me. Number six, I will be a refuge for my people. I'll be a refuge for my people. Understand that. We have God as a refuge no matter what is going on in this world. Then he says, number seven, I'll purify my people. I'll give, number eight, joy to my people. And he says, I'll remove all judgment and fear from my people. And then he says, tenthly, I will cause nations to praise my people. I will give worldwide fame to my people, and I'll give great prosperity to my faithful people. Now, this is a message Israel needs to know tonight. Because she's lost her way. She's no longer focused on her God that led her into that land and has given her that land and one day has promised to bless her in that land. But she needs to understand if she would cultivate a right relationship with her God, he would do all of these things for her right now. And if we will cultivate a wonderful relationship with God, he'll do those kinds of things for us right now. 
So there are four reasons why we're going to study this book of Zephaniah. It's convicting. It's intimidating, but it's also uplifting. Now, the second question is, who's Zephaniah? The name Zephaniah means the Lord hides. The Lord hides, and that's very appropriate because if one is right with God, when God is pouring out negative judgments, he'll hide and protect those that are right with him. It's a good name for him. It's a good meaning of a name. The Lord will protect people and hide people that are interested in a right relationship with him. In the Bible, there are four guys who are named Zephaniah. You have a Levite who was a descendant of Kohath in 1 Chronicles 6. There was a priest who was second in command under the high priest Sariah during the reign of King Zedekiah, 2 Kings 25. Then you have the father of Josiah who returned from Babylon after the exile. But then there's this Zephaniah, this Zephaniah who wrote the book of Zephaniah. And what we learn about Zephaniah is found in verse 1. I want you to see it. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So we learn in verse 1 that Zephaniah is giving us a pedigree. In fact, he goes to great lengths to give us a pedigree that most minor prophets don't do. Zephaniah is the only prophet we know of who has political royalty in his ancestry. In verse 1, we get a list of four generations. He's the son of Cushi. Cushi's the son of Gedaliah. Gedaliah is the son of Amariah. Amariah was the son of Hezekiah. So Zephaniah is the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah is one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, and Zephaniah is related to him. Zephaniah had royal blood in him, and he was a prophet of God. It's interesting because you go these four generations, and then you, you bump into Zephaniah from, from Hezekiah, and you're thinking, well, not everybody in the family seemed to be like that. I mean, it wasn't like you had a string of these guys who were in deep love with the word of God and the Lord. And you may discover in your own family, not everybody in the family is after this. Not everybody in your family, even your own children, may not be serious about God and his word. That doesn't stop you or shouldn't stop you. Somewhere along the line, this Zephaniah developed a tremendous love for the Lord, and he developed a great love for the Lord that was willing to stand up and speak out just like his great-great-grandpa. So Zephaniah was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. Now the third question is, when did he write? Well, verse 1 says he wrote in the days of Josiah. So he wrote during the days of the reign of King Josiah. Now, Josiah reigned for 31 years from 640 to 609 B.C. Josiah came to the throne when he was 8 years old, but at 16, age 16, he committed his life to the Lord, and by age 20, he went to work on turning the nation back to God. He inherited a mess, and we'll talk about that in just a second. He rebuilt the temple, tore down the idols, got rid of them. I mean, Zephaniah was alive at the time. In fact, many commentators believe that it was the warning that Zephaniah kept giving, you're heading to the serious judgment of God, that prompted Josiah to say, you know what, we need to get this nation back on track. And in the year 722 B.C., Assyria attacked and destroyed the ten northern tribes of Israel. Hezekiah became king of Judah. 
In the south, six years after this happened, he turned the nation back to God. So Assyria attacked Judah. They surrounded Jerusalem, and God intervened. 185,000 soldiers died in their sleep, and the Assyrians went back home and didn't attack. Well, after Hezekiah died, the most godless king of Judah to ever hold office came into office. His name was Manasseh, and this guy was corrupt. You talk about a corrupt politician. This is corrupt as it gets. He reigned for 55 years. The guy was evil. I mean, this is a king of Judah. He's promoting Baal worship and witchcraft, and he's promoting child sacrifices, and he promotes immorality. He sets up all of these idols to Baal. He hated God. He hated God's word. He hated God's prophets. And two years after Manasseh was dead, Josiah was king. And it was during this time when Zephaniah was prophesying and predicting what God intended to do. That nation had gone down a trail that was so corrupt that Zephaniah said, you don't understand what God's going to do to you. You are going so far astray from the word and will of God, God's going to destroy you. So Zephaniah writes in close proximity with Nahum because Nineveh had not yet been destroyed. We learn from Zephaniah 1 that the idolatrous Baal worship was still in existence. So what we would conclude is he's writing this book somewhere around the year B.C. 625. It's interesting because God would not destroy Jerusalem until 586 B.C. So Josiah, even though it may be too little too late, he did have an impact on the nation. He did because he turned the nation back to the Lord through the proclamation of the word of God coming through Zephaniah. He did stay the execution, as it were. Ladies and gentlemen, proclaiming God's word is the one thing that can still change lives. And proclaiming God's word is the one thing that can still change nations. And that is why we're going to proclaim it. This book of Zephaniah is going to say not only to Israel, it's going to say to the United States of America, you're on a wrong path. And you better get off that path. Because if you don't get off that path, you're going to answer to a God who is angry and a God who is going to destroy which brings us to the final question tonight. What's the theme of the book of Zephaniah? When you read chapter 1 of the book, it becomes quite apparent that the world had become so corrupt that God said, I just am going to have to wipe it out. I'm going to have to remove man and beast. I'm going to have to remove birds in the sky and the fish of the sea. I mean, he's talking about a judgment the likes of which this world has never seen, and it has not seen this. It's the judgment of the Great Tribulation. That is exactly what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. And then, after the 1,000-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to literally destroy the world, burn it up, and create a new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. The theme of the book of Zephaniah is the day of the Lord judgment. That word day, yom, in Hebrew is used multiple times in the book, seven times in the book of Zephaniah, more than any other book, seven references refer to this as the day of the Lord. Multiple times it's referred to as the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is the time in which God is going to pour out his judgment as a prelude to the day when Jesus Christ comes back to take over the world. What Zephaniah says is there's coming a ferocious judgment and the world better understand this. God says, I'm not playing games. 
I have a day in which I'm going to judge. I'm going to pour out my wrath against the entire world. What he does in this book, amazingly, is he invites people, humble yourself before me. Humble yourself and get into a right relationship with me. If you do that, you can escape the ferocious judgment of God. Now, God is not going to tolerate this evil world or evil people forever. He's gracious, he's patient, he's merciful, but there's going to come a moment when his wrath is going to come. And Martin Luther said, Jesus Christ is going to return and take over this world. And the book of Zephaniah is a book against human religion. It's a book against human righteousness. It's a book against human reform. It's a book that says you need to humble yourself to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. If you don't do that, you're heading to the wrath of God. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We live in a world that has lost, I mean, it is way off the tracks when it comes to the truth that's revealed in a book like Zephaniah. I mean, we live in a world where most people think any religion's good. Most religion is that which is going to bring your ferocious judgment. So forgive us for that. Lord, thank you that you've given us a sure word of prophecy whereby we can know exactly who you are, what you are, what you want us to do. And as we go through this book of Zephaniah, we pray that you would just be about working in our own minds and hearts, that we would be people who would seek you, we would have a great relationship with you, you would be pleased with us. We thank you for the fellowship time that is going to take place here in the next few minutes. We pray your blessing on the food and the fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.